Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. You go first. We've been released. <laughs> We're in a park. Um, so is this Dermot? And I'm Paul. And Dermot is. I've, uh, Dermot. This is Dermot Gavin. <laughs> I'm a garden designer and I love plants and design and I combine them to make gardens. So this is my friend Paul. I'm Paul and I guess I'm the plant person. I'm the plant side of things and gardening and everything is really interesting to me but the plants are my main passion and that's really what I like. And Paul doesn't realise what year it is. It's 2021. It's 2021. (laughs) Paul has no concept of news, popular culture or anything other than plants. But he's very, very intelligent, very, very brainy. He's really quite brilliant. And they've let me out from under a rock. Um, to record this no, podcast. Paul, at this stage you're meant to say, I know, I'm not really that brilliant. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take whatever compliments they're dishing out today. <laughs> uh, and this is the start of our new podcast and we're launching with today. We're surrounded by beautiful plane trees and what else have we got around us? Uh, an old lime tree and, and cherry and whatever. And we're in St. Stephen's Green, which is the park, which is south side of Dublin pretty much the dead centre of the city very historic park and it's just verdant it's green and it's beautiful and it's a start it's a start of gardening yeah like this is the absolute best time of the year to get out into your garden to enjoy it to just sit in it even if your garden isn't fantastic well hopefully we can help change that a bit but enjoy the space enjoy your own garden and enjoy whatever you want in your own garden So the two of us over the next few months will be helping you along the way, helping you to that journey to get used to what you have uh, and to really discover the best out of the space. We want to bring you on a journey, a journey of plants, tell you about different plants that have evolved in different places around the world that bring joy to us. But we also want to talk about design, how to get to grips with that space and how to build up the gardens of your dreams. We're not on our own. We have grown up with us. Yep, yep. We weren't allowed uh, release on our own. We have Aideen here. Um, Aideen is our producer and she is going to come along and part of the journey with her own garden. We're slightly suspicious because she's not staffed. I brought her in specially for this assignment. I think that was wise, actually. (laughs) Um, But it's great to be outside. The sun today is beaming down. The birds are singing and it just feels like it's time to get gardening. Today we're going to skim through the basics. And we are just going to skim through the basics. Listen, gardening is easy. And we're going to tell you why this country and these islands are some of the best places on the planet to garden. We're going to tell you the things to be aware of, things like soil and climate and aspect. And about the plants, I suppose, and why plants are called such. And we're just going to talk very briefly about kind of the very, very simple things that make up gardening to kind of give you a good footing. We're only kind of skimming at the top of the surface here. There's a lot more depth. There's a lot to talk about. And we'll be happily answering questions the whole way through as well. And the reason that they sent Aideen along with us is that she's hopeless. In the nicest possible way? No, it's hopeless in gardening. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah so she, she has a... Husband is from Wicklow. It's not a good start, is it? Uh, and she's a new plot. We're three years in. She's done feck all. She is full of guilt and shame. She's a mother-in-law who's the most glorious garden is full of wildflowers. And rather than paying out in, they said, he'll sort out your garden for you. 
Um, but I think Aideen has the same problem as many other people. You know, everyone is sitting out looking at their garden and a bit, eh, what am I going to do with it? We've been, you know, the last year and a half, we've been sitting looking at our gardens more than ever. So it's a good time for us to start thinking of what to do and how to do it. And hopefully we'll help that. What a lot of people don't realise is not everybody in the world, not every nation in the world, not every people in the world is obsessed about gardening as we are. Driving in today, I found out that during the recent period, during the lockdown period, the number one obsession hasn't been banana bread or anything like that. It's been people getting out discovering their plots. We're armed with so much knowledge when we're one of the first things we hear about is the Garden of Eden when we come into this world. We hear about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. We're steeped in history. And because we're steeped in history, there tends to be a lot of rules that have grown up, regulations that have grown up, do things this way, that way. What you have to remember is it's very, very easy. Plants want to grow here and the plant hasn't read the book. So without further ado, let's get gardening. Bring it. Everybody is talking about one thing this year. The weather. They're always talking the about the weather. thing. It's weird how obsessed we have weather. We do. And we have it every year. But every single year, it's like we've never had it before. You give my speech. What's my speech about? I, I can't do your accent yet, but I'll get there. I've spent enough time with you. Um, we live in the most incredible country in the world. Our climate is so for gardening, diverse. For gardening. For gardening. Yeah, Ooh, yeah okay. Uh, we can grow the most incredible range of plants okay, from all over the world. You oh, are better on, at it, on. but I'm getting there. So we live on the most unbelievable island in the world, or the most unbelievable set of islands uh, in, in, in the world for gardening, because we can grow plants that have originated in all so over. many places around the world. And that is because of our... Climate. What? Our weather. Our and what type of climate do we have? Temperate. We have a temperate climate. Cold, yeah. Temperate climate means... Not too hot, not too cold. Lack of extremes of hot or cold or wet or dry. The Goldilocks effect, in effect. Explain that. It's why the solar system exists and why our planet exists is the Goldilocks effect. Everything just in this the universe is perfect that we can have life. Mm-hmm. And the Goldilocks effect of gardening is Ireland, you could say. I'm, I'm so lost, but then you're better educated than me. But it means that we can grow plants that have originated from all around the world. And the weather gets in the way and causes havoc. And which, this year has which done Which has it. been happening this year. Because yeah. this year, why it surprises us? Why does, it, why does it... It happens every year. Well, it's not in the books. The books, you know, we have this... Do you know, think about the saying. books. <laughs> <laughs> the plant hasn't read the book. Yes, and that's one of our favourite sayings. Because uh, they don't. And every year you look at a gardening book and, you know, they're usually done month by month and they tell you that in this month this is meant to happen. The reality is it's not the same. Nature changes, weather changes, things like frost comes in and causes havoc to a spring garden. And also plants are different and each even a, a certain species. So I grow, if we're talking about tree ferns, I grow lots of Dixonia Antarctica, that amazing Tasmanian tree fern that had a resurgence for in uh, kind of the 1990s uh, into the noughties. And these are amazing ferns that grow on a long stump, almost to a lot of people's minds like palm trees. And reading up about them and reading up about where they grow, I initially read, everybody writes to me and says, yeah, do you have to wrap them during winter? Will they get damaged? They're very expensive and I've paid an awful lot and I don't know if the new fronds uh, are, are, are safe and, and whatever. And reading up about them from, there's a great nursery in, in the UK called Architectural Plants. And the guy there was saying that 
each Dixonia is different. So some will survive down to minus... Each Dixonia Antarctica is different. Some will go down to minus 25, others to about minus 15, and you just never know. And Dixonia Antarctica is just a posh name for tree fern, right? For tree fern. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> it's not... You see, now we're into Latin names. It's not a posh name. It's a Latin name. It's the correct uh, name, the botanical name, and we just call them tree ferns as a general sort of... Yeah, know, but we may as well explain the reason for botanicus. This is the other thing. So people talk about weather... And even though we have it every day, we still talk about it, even though it doesn't change from year to year. Uh-huh. It does a little bit with climate change uh, and, uh, and our island yeah, is yeah. warming up. So weather is one thing God must talk about. Botanical names is the other thing that do people's heads in. And you're a botanical snob. I am. But I do work in a garden centre and I do have people asking for them Alice and Mary plants, which... <laughs> As well as people looking for Dixonia Antarctica. <laughs> when they're looking for Alison Mary plants, what do they mean? Uh, I think they mean Alstromeria, which is the Peruvian lily. But uh, people usually have their own way of saying things and their own little uh, whatever colloquialism. Okay, I'm going to so. give you another one here. Yeah. When somebody is asking for a crystal lily, what do they mean? Crystal lily. Christmas cactus? No. No. Crystallinia. Wow. <laughs> That's like Cockney slang for gardening more than anything else. Uh, so, uh, explain Latin names, explain botanical names. Basically, it's a universal language. So, you could go all over the world with the name for an oak tree, which is Quercus rober, and you could go to France, you could go to Spain, you could go to Italy, you could go down to Japan, and they would all know what you mean by that if you wrote it down because it's a universal term that can be used everywhere. And it's just we can identify what's what. Did you Basically. ever ask a Japanese man about a Quirkus robbery? I haven't had the opportunity yet, but if I do... <laughs> well, they might. Hey, and as an interesting fact, if you know that Quirkus robber is the botanical name for oak, you would have won a million euro because that was one of the first million euro or million pound questions on who wants to be a millionaire when it started. Wow. If you sowed the seed of Quirkus robber, what would you get? Tree, shrub, uh, I think fern or something else. And it was the simplest question and I knew it. But there you go. Who decided on Latin names? A man with a very boring name called Carl Linnaeus, I think. Oh, if you're the gonna Swedish go, botanist. The Swedish botanist, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he configured... He came up with the system, the binomial system, as it's called, which is basically just the two-name system. It's like your first name is Germit, your second name is Gavin. Plants have the same, Dixonia, Antarctica, similar idea that you can identify, you know, that you're a Gavin, but you're very, very, very definitely not any Gavin, you are Dermot Gavin. And that's how plants are, too. Uh, and there, <laughs> there is a little bit of white supremacy going on here, isn't there? Yeah, because all of those big estates and, you know, the landed gentry back in days of old would send out their gardeners and send out their people and they would collect plants and they would bring them back. And the big joy and the big kind of, I guess, reward was to name a plant after the person who had paid for the trip. So they would go to the Cape in Africa or they would go to Antarctica or they would go to the mountains in Portugal. They'd find something. They would completely disregard. They would take any information they could get locally, but they would completely disregard whatever local name it had and they'd name it after their king, their queen or their sponsor. Or, they, you know, and even, uh, you know, great people like Charles Darwin. There's Berberus that are Berber Darwinii, there's Augustine Henry who was an Irish plant collector and his, you know, things like Lanicera Henryi, which is honeysuckle, were named after him. So, yeah, it happened all over in lots of different ways. So, yeah. So, right, we've had climate and we always have climate. We have Latin names, which are a pain in the ass, but we have to. They're a logical way of identifying plants the world over. What's the next thing? Uh, Please, can I I answer that? uh, Your hand's up, yes, go. Okay, soil. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. Oh, you love this. Oh, he, love he'll, you, oh he's going to bore everyone now. Uh, hold on to your seats. <laughs> so, well, actually, you're very good in this because you talked about that skim uh, over the Earth's crust. What is it that you well, say? It's a quote. All human, all life. Yeah, we owe our existence to yeah. a six-inch layer of soil and the fact that it rains. And if it wasn't for those two things, we'd be nothing. But all you need to sustain life, really all life on the planet, is this game of, now I'm older than you, so old money, eight inches? What's that new money? Oh, 24 centimetres. 24 it's centimetres. not, but uh, it's close. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's like 30 centimetres or oh, less. Hold on, we're, a bit oh, we're getting a calculator oh, here yeah. too. Uh, 20.32. So 20 centimetres of soil. And uh, it depends where you live. And there's all over this island, you go over to the burn and you don't have any soil or you have very little soil. And yet you still have plants thriving. In nothing. An amazing range of plants. So plants will adapt. But all over the world, it is that skim of 80 inches, 20 centimetres of soil of different types that sustains life. Because without it, we couldn't exist. Yep. Isn't that amazing? And the Americans call it? Dirt. How is, mad is that? They is that correct? Dirt. Yeah, they do. And I'm well, doing... a lot of people do because it's seen as this horrible, sticky, muddy thing that... And what's better than coming in from the garden covered in muck and on your boots and in your hands and washing it down the sink and it's just... It's the most natural thing ever unless you've got cats and dogs. It's the, the most garden. natural thing ever and increasingly in studies, people will tell you, people who have been to school, will tell you that that stuff really affects your mental health. Having your hand in the soil. In the soil, in the dirt, in the muck, in the clay. So if you, we know this is the start of what we're about to do and we know we're only just glancing at big things such as climate, but they will come week by week, this will come into it. Climate will come into it. Um, uh, Soil will come into it and then plants and what they're called. And it's arming yourself with a little bit of information and making mistakes that will allow you to create a great garden. Over the coming weeks, we'll explore these things in a fun way, but in a way that you can, well, that we can understand and we can understand. And if we can understand it, then surely you'll be able to understand it. Well, you said something there about making mistakes, and that's what gardening is all about. And whether you have just Seen came to it yours. for the first time, so I've Seen all yours. I the first Seen person to put my yours. hands up and say I have killed more plants than probably everybody listening combined. Oh, that's not fun. You're meant to say no, no, no. I've seen yours. Ah, uh, well, I've seen your garden, yeah. And we're not going to go there because that's another topic in its entirety. <laughs> so snobbiness. Uh, bitchiness um, pretense is also a big topic in gardening yes yes it'll be probably a couple of weeks worth at least (laughs) gardening up to now has been quite elite it's been one or two it's been folk art or elite it's been owned by the higher orders but it is becoming more and more accessible by everyone and the fact that people now garden in their own, you know, without having a garden you know, that's the thing and you've been half Protestant you do have a bit of a, a bit of an attitude. Well, you definitely have a chip. So between the two of us, I think we're. <laughs> it's a good combination. Yeah. I'm landed gentry. You are proper. I'm yeah, proper yeah. Landed gentry. You've got your own town named after you. Yes. Well. Yeah. Over on the mainland. Over in Scotland, which is the nicest bit of the mainland. Yeah, I have a town. Did I tell you? Did I ever tell you? Yes. <laughs> Once or twice. There you, is a Gavinton. You might let it slip in the conversation, <laughs> let's say. Okay, I've brought us slightly off topic. So, we have done climate, we've done Latin names, we've and done soil and inequality. <laughs> well, they're the three basics of gardening, really, aren't they? Yeah. Plants, climate, and soil. 
and the rest is just sort of, you know, knitting that all together. Yeah, and with gardening, in a way, you can't go wrong. Yeah, there are no mistakes, and that's why I was saying, you know, we kill plants, but, you know, you make a mistake, you learn from it, and there is a thing, though, you know, if you kill a plant once, fine, kill a plant twice, kill a plant three times, I think it's time to maybe accept that you're not going to be able to grow that particular plant. Helen Dillon, the great uh, doyenne, as you call her, of Irish gardening, uh, I think that was one of her sayings, that if you kill a plant three times, you really should consider not growing that plant, because I don't think you're going to be able to. The other great saying of Helen's that we love and must adapt for this podcast is... Take a biscuit. Take a biscuit. If you do anything good in the garden, Helen, who is the world's, one of the world's best gardeners, she has this expression. If, or if you say anything that's great, she says, take a biscuit. Okay, uh, Nikki Kelly. So, Nikki Kelly has asked how to keep wisteria healthy. That's an N-I-K-I. So, did I say it right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I just want Nikki to know that it's, there's lots of Nikki Killies. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's you, Nikki. Um, and how would you keep her wisteria healthy? Uh, we would assume that it's uh, her and IKI. Yeah, yeah, I think we would. Okay. Uh, yeah. it, how to keep it? Mulch. Mulch is the answer to everything. I have one before that, and this you're not going to like this because it's probably already planted, but when you buy it... Make sure it's in flower. Yes. Why? Yeah, but that's not about keeping it healthy. She hasn't asked that question. Well, most people ask, why has her wisteria not flowered? N- N- Nikki hasn't asked, asked that question. Yeah, but it's an interesting point. Because most school, people will have them that don't. The teacher says, answer the question that's asked. Yeah, but I never listened in school. Uh, no, and now it's, uh, why would this be any different? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry for anyone watching. Buy a... <laughs> watch teachers, yeah. Uh, buy a wisteria that's in flower. We never say this about plants. Never, ever, ever say this about plants because it's best not to buy plants when they're in flower. Although we do. We go in the garden centre and it's like that chocolate uh, in the supermarket. You can't that's resist. The register. Yeah. You can't resist colour we can't resist colour uh, but we should resist colour and we should go in with a plan for what we want for the garden uh, and a long term view rather than that instant impact however with wisteria it's slightly different because wisteria can be very reluctant 7 to 10 years often to come into flower and climbers are frustrating about that especially with wisteria because they you put them in the ground and they look at you for 10 years and they just say Ulster says no and you say, please, Flor, please, Flor. Ulster says no. <laughs> uh, uh, so, or the lady's not returning, or uh, any of these things. And then eventually they, they will produce something if you're lucky. Uh, if and you, you said it actually about mulching. Mulching is key because it holds in water and it well, gives then feed. Why, why did you make me go through all this? Because there's a mulching. few other points as well. What okay. about pruning? Because that's one of the big things. You have to prune it. Twice a year, you have to do it in January and June. And it's a real complex thing. But very briefly, in January, you're trying to prune to a structure to kind of give it some sort of structure as to where it is. In June, all you're pruning off are the big long shoots that come off of it, maybe up to five or six foot long. And you're just pruning it back to a couple of buds so it doesn't go all over the place and take over the world. Because Wisteria was named one of the most hated plants ever (laughs) because it grows like the clappers. It doesn't grow. And then it just grows and grows and grows. People, when it's on a house, it can cause all sorts of damage uh, yeah but it but can't really no it can't, but it can't it, really don't keep and, but it does go rampant and actually it's great fun when it grows rampant and it will still flower so what Paul is saying is right too but also so is Dermot yeah 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 it'll do its own thing and it will flower so don't worry about these things and when he says to you twice a year yeah you have to but a cow will do it for you yeah it's just 
trimming it. Yes, but not everyone in the city has access to a cow, <laughs> whereas a pruner okay. is easier to find in the DIY Caroline store. Caroline <laughs> has a question, and it's just two words, and there's no question mark after it. Fecking frosts. I can relate. Um, well, the last month we've had frost weirdly out of kind of season in April. Yes, and but people... We can get frost and we can get snow right the way into May. So it should be no surprise. No, but it ruins things. I know. And plants like hydrangeas that are just about to come into bud get whacked and all these new lovely plants just get killed over. And buds are forming. When buds are forming, that's when the trouble really begins. And buds, inside those buds, it might be a flower bud and that might be where the fruit is going to come from or it might be just where the loveliness is going to come from. Magnolias, which all got whacked earlier on. All got whacked. Uh, Um, The thing is, you can't do anything about it. You just have to grin, bear and Well, you can because you can protect. You can get a fleece. You can... Yeah, if you have one or two special things, but there's no point wrapping the whole garden every night. It's going to go down to minus three degrees, is there? people do. I know, but that's a bit much. It is a bit much. And you don't need to. The plant will recover. Plants are remarkably resilient. I think that's the main thing. They will come back, and I just don't have the time to worry about that. So don't worry about it. Sean has another question, and it's down to one word without a question mark. Well, it's a statement then, isn't it? Anyway, yes, it's a statement. Weeding. Maybe it's an instruction. Well, yeah, you could take a leaf out of that book, and I definitely could. (laughs) You should see my garden, the weeds are taller. So, technically, a weed is a plant growing where you don't want it. Yeah, and that's the very boring scientific thing about it. But sometimes I like weeds. And we tend to love weeds, and we want to encourage more weeds that produce lots of pollen, that aren't invasive, that don't take over your garden, and don't strangle out any other plants. So we have a problem in this country with a few different type of weeds. One is rhododendron ponticum. And that's an introduced weed that was taken by people who thought it would look lovely in their gardens and it goes rampant here, it seeds everywhere and it becomes a real problem when it's out in the wilds of Kerry in our native woodlands. And we've another giant hogweed. Yeah, and that's a problem for a few reasons. What main one being it's a kind of human health hazard because it produces a sap and if you get exposed to it and sunlight it can really cause blisters and things. So that's something you have to be careful of. And both of these are national problems. And you could add Japanese knotweed to, to this and a few more. And both of these are really national problems trying to eradicate them and trying to preserve what we have our beautiful woodlands or you know other areas of, of, of special interest but the weeds we have in our gardens wood the weeds people tend to talk about at this time of the year are dandelions and daisies yeah and maybe the weeds that are just starting to grow because it's now you know so coming into the growing season bindweed. yeah and that's a weed that's a perennial weed so it comes back every single scutch year grass. scutch grass and ground elder and they're kind of the nasty ones but then you get things that are only going to be there for a season so things like all your chickweeds and your fuma trees and all of those things that are basically just little soft weeds that grow and if you just knock them off their heads kind of off of their heads sort of thing you'll get rid of them instantly so Paul and me aren't <laughs> certified organic but we tend towards the organic we like to garden with nature and use as little intervention intervention from chemicals or artificial feeds as possible. And we've always been like that. It's just an innate thing was in us. Gardening has been taken over by the big chemical companies forever, you know, probably from the 1930s, 1940s. And all sorts of poisons tend to be poured into our gardens and most of them aren't necessary. And weeds, the common weeds, they're fine. 
Well, they produce flowers, which is what we need for things like bees and butterflies. And they are actually a source of pollen for things. Naturally, they're wild, they're native. They are kind of, you know, they're wild flowers, if you want to call them that. You know, a wildflower patch is just managed weeds, you could say. So, so Sean, there are some weeds that absolutely get rid of at first sight, like Japanese knotweed or these hogweeds or, you know, if you on an estate he'd be called Lord Sean when our Count Sean if he had an Baron. estate Baron I like Baron Sean. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's more scary Baron Sean doesn't now if he was a Baron uh, I don't think Sean is uh, quite no you need a anyway that's a, maybe we, for the purpose of this question maybe we'll, we're going to name him Oliver so but if you <laughs> have an estate with Oliver if you have an estate with rhododendron taking over definitely call in plant guards if you have daisies growing in your lawn let them grow and you'll have areas like where you have all your really lovely plants that you want to keep kind of weed free but then you'll have back parts of the garden that it doesn't matter if it's a bit wild and a bit unkempt and no one's going to care and you don't need to focus all your attention on weeding every bit of the garden weed part of the garden and just let the rest of it you know don't worry about it i don't weed my garden as much as i should I just weed it twice a year, once in the winter time, maybe again around this time of the year, and all I do is I stop weeds going to seed, because by letting a weed go to seed, it will seed all over the place, and it will have a new generation. Go on, you're, you have another saying for this. Oh, I've had too many sayings, so I'm using them all up in the first go. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll save that for another day. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Take a biscuit. Thank you very much. <laughs> We've just realised, Paul, that we have a virgin gardener here and they're always the best type because you, you, they can be manipulated. Very good. So what are you going to do? What's your garden like? <laughs> this is Aideen. This is our producer who has been chasing us around the building. <laughs> Trying to get us to behave. <laughs> and and what, what, what did you just say to me when I said, what's your garden like? My garden, I, I don't even remember what I said did to you. See that hand on the heart. Because it what breaks my heart. Right? I live in a new housing estate. <laughs> yeah. With... A garden that has had nothing done to it for three years. How long have you been there? Three years. Three years, yeah. okay. And all we've done is mow the lawn and done nothing else with it. And the year we moved in, we had the heat wave in 2018. Yeah. So it was absolutely scorched and died and came back sort of... Oh, this is absolutely this brilliant. Is case study, this is like case brilliant. study. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you should be in a, I think, preserved for science. Because <laughs> we're through this series going to sort your garden. No, actually, we're going to tell you how to sort your oh, garden. Oh, okay. That's less <laughs> Well, uh, and everybody else, because everyone's in the same boat, aren't you? Well, well you're in the that same boat. boat. So you, you describe what Aideen has just said to us. Well, your first house, you're in it a couple of years, you're looking at the back garden, and you just don't know what to do. And there's loads of stuff you don't know, because builders are, can I use the word? Yes. Shits. They are. Because over your garden, and in particular, they knew you were buying the house, so they, <laughs> we get her. Yes. So they have driven every heavy machine over. They've uh, thrown half bags of cement into where you want the spuds to grow. Builders and gardeners. I've worked They're, in so many gardens of builders, as have you, and all you do is fight with them. It's a constant battle. So, so Aideen, there's thing. two things going on here. First of all, you have a virgin gar- uh, garden. You don't know what to do. You're scared of it. The weather has been... You've been forced to use it for the last few years, but you don't know. You, you know that you like pretty flowers and you know you want to sit out and you know that you want to barbecue and whatever, but you don't know anything and else. And something else that I know, I have no budget, right? So that's... You don't, yeah. That's the other thing about gardening. You don't need a budget. Okay. You, you don't, don't need, need much of a budget. You don't. Okay. Ne- not you, much of a You don't need any budget. Well, you need a little bit. No, but you, you don't just need, need a like friend. The, yeah. You need to have a granny who knows how to snip. 
Oh yeah. Uh, so we take will take you through the process of creating a branding, and we know it's the only reason you took the job. Yep. Hundred percent. So, new garden, new estate. Uh, number one, it's finding out about all the things we talked about earlier. What's your soil type like? Aspect. Aspect is so important. Aspect is different from climate. What does aspect mean? Well, is the garden south facing or yeah, how much where light? the sun is at different uh, uh, times of the day? Uh, is it south facing garden? Is it a west facing garden? Is it, that will determine what you go and how you use the space, how you lay the space out. Then deciding about what you like it just if we were to ask you give us 10 words to describe your ideal garden five words even colorful i would like it to be child friendly it's zoned so that i can have a nice little place for people to eat and for the shed and all the rest of it zoned. god 10 words Jeez. what yeah. else am i thinking you, um, you miss one magic keyword that on. everyone wants yes low maintenance oh I thought that was implicit in what I was saying. I know nothing. I have no budget. I yes, well, it, it's, it's the golden ticket, isn't it? That everyone says you need to gain an understanding of the site, the soil, and the aspect. How then, do you do that if you know nothing? Can you get someone to analyze it for you? Analyze it yourself. Go out in the garden yeah. on an evening when you might be having a barbecue and see where the sun is. See where the sunniest part of the garden is and decide that's probably the best place to sit out in the evening because it's the warmest part of the garden. But the, the sunniest place is the place that all your productive plants are going to want to be also. But you so also anything that fruits or flowers is in the sun. However, in the north-facing part of the garden where it's just a little bit dreary and a little bit shadowed and uh, overshadowed and a little bit ugly and whatever, there are so many plants that will grow there too. Most important thing, most important next thing is what's in the ground, the dirt. The dirt that the builders have left you and it probably will be terrible. So you're going to have to decide, whenever you decide where you want to put some of those plants, you're going to have to improve it. Have you dug into the soil at all? No. Never? No. Do you have any plants? Hold on, hold on. What? Let's drill down into this. You've never... No, just, I just have plants, I have pots, and I have a few bits in that, and I don't even know the names of them, to be honest with you, because <laughs> my mum gave them to me. And we're being a little bit uh, critical here, and that isn't what we are or who we are, because gardens are, first of all, any space you have. We're not snobby about gardens, so any space you have should have no feelings of guilt or laziness or shame attached just shouldn't we have grown up with a a tyranny of trying to impress the family or the neighbours yeah and it's ridiculous yeah do what you want if you want to let the reeds grow the bees will love them so everybody else can feck off do what you want what you want to do is you want to look out and not look at a boring square patch of grass which is what so many people have and I think a lot of people will relate to that and they'll be able to go home and do their homework and kind of follow on and you know go home see what you have and come back next week and we'll tell you what to do next oh bloody hell I know what you're going to talk about you're going to talk about this thing that if I post lovely, colourful flowers that are beneficial to pollinators on Instagram, 500 people will say, that's the nicest picture I've ever seen and how do you do this? And two people will say, ew, they're not native. And they're not wrong, but they're not what? exactly, you know, they're not wrong. So yeah, what, what is a native plant? This is the thing. We live in an island that, in horticultural terms, botanical oh, I can, terms... I can go now. It's just barren. Bye, Dermot. Uh, I'm off on one. <laughs> I'll, I'll look at you from um, And 
well, he's gone. He's actually left the studio. So all I'm talking about here is the fact that, you know, hundreds and millions of years ago, the last ice age, this country was just wiped of everything. And what's came back here is about three or four hundred different species. And when you look at, I think there's a quarter of a million plants in existence in the world. And we only have 500 of them on these islands because basically we were wiped out. If we only grew native plants on this island, we would have the most boring gardens in existence. There would be nothing here worth talking about. Nobody would want to go to an Irish garden. And we have a gloomy climate. Yes. So we we need to be... First of all, we need, <laughs> we need food to eat. So spuds aren't native. Potatoes aren't native. Yes, our main kind of thing that everyone associates pasta the country with. Pasta isn't native. Really? Yeah. Do you have a pasta plant? Well, wait... You have a spaghetti plant. <laughs> so spaghetti tree. A spaghetti he has a spaghetti tree. tree. That's another topic tree. for another time. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's for April. Um, but if we relied on plants, so where do we kind of draw the line? If you, go, I've been on garden tours in South Africa, and if you mention plants that aren't native there, they would nearly take you out and have you shot. Yeah, and like. There is an element of truth to this, and you know our native stock shouldn't be infected with. And all in of South those Africa, I can understand that, that because they have the most abundant and beautiful flora, probably on the planet. Yeah, but they are extreme in one way. Without plants that have come to visit or have been introduced, we wouldn't have gardens, we wouldn't have food stuff, and it'd be it's gloomy enough with the kind of grey weather we can have. It would be a gloomy island. Yeah, and the whole point is what they do have is flower and colour and flower of any type is better than no flower at all. There's a few flowers that aren't fantastic for pollinators and bees and, and butterflies. And that's because they make it difficult. To, they've been We've overbred. Bred them. We've bred know, them and it's difficult. Just it's simply difficult for the bees to get in or the butterflies or the moths or the insects to get in at the, uh, at the pollen. But as so a the, sweeping rule, it's better that we have some flowers there than none at all. And then they come back to you and they say, yeah, but you shouldn't be sowing these seeds in rural areas because they, they could cross-contaminate. Cross yeah. And there's an element of that. But bloody hell, just encourage people to plant. And my point as well was, on this island, we have in our cities, you know, for the last thousand years, we've taken away all the native wildflower meadows, particularly, you know, in Dublin or in any city around the world. All of the native habitat is gone because we've built on it. And, and to bring back anything farming, is better. You know, farming is, is a huge. The hedgerow's been, been removed. Now, there are moves, at least the prevailing... Um, thought of the day is for all this stuff yeah. to garden in a completely different way to garden with not using peat with as little use as little intervention as few chemicals all of that sort of thing so the wind is blowing in the right direction but don't be issuing big statements or, or whatever if people are doing something encourage them yeah it's better that people are active, that they want to in- take interest in growing wildflowers, growing plants in the garden. And if they're not 100% native, yes, there's some that we have to watch out for and be careful of. But for the most part, if you're taking an interest, if you're doing it, and if you're, you know, the products are there, grow them and sow them and enjoy them in your garden. Don't be too worried about, you know, the ethics and the morals of all of it, because... You know, gardening is the most artificial thing in the world because gardening is taking nature from where it should be and manipulating it in whatever way you want to in your space. So there's nothing natural about gardening if you want to be totally purist about it. So you have to take an element of... There's other purists who talk about rewilding too, which has gone the other extreme. And none of these extremes are good. No, no, because who wants wolves in Ranala? <laughs> wolves in Ranala. Yeah, well, rewilding is a totally different topic. <laughs> And it's okay in the highlands of Scotland or in parts of the world where there's very little human yeah, habitation. Yeah, 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 but, but that's all. 
That was fun. Yeah, and we're here back in Stevens Green again. But we have a task. This is all about getting involved, getting the hands dirty. So every week there's something that we'll want you to do. And this week it's get to know your plot. Yep, and we were talking earlier about Aideen and her garden and we think it'd be fantastic if anybody listening should go out to their plot and should have a look, observe the plot, see what's there, take a soil sample, take up the soil, feel the soil, get used to what you have, look at the different things of your garden and just kind of get to know your plot, appreciate what you have and learn what you want to take from that plot and decide what you want from the garden and only from there can we actually go ahead and tell you what to do. You need to know what you want. So just make some observations in whatever way that works for you. A few words, a couple of pages, whatever. Get in touch, the usual channels, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. You'll find us and let us know what's happening, what you're seeing, what you're feeling. Dig into the soil a little bit. Next week, we'll tell you how to take soil samples. We love to hear from people and there is no such thing as a stupid question. So get in touch. Dirt, a Go Loud original. Go